This is the Krillcast Live. I'm Chris. And I'm Andrew. And this podcast is called what now? Printed and Pressed. And what do we do on Printed and Pressed, Andrew? We discuss books that we're reading. That's correct. And what book did we read most recently? That's the I mean, as people can see on the screen, Chris, it's <laughs> Unrestricted Warfare. Which means we're going to be demonetized on YouTube. So go follow us on Rumble yes. and Odyssey. For sure, for sure. Because we are going to be heavily demonetized after this one. Anyways. Um... <laughs> Probably. But it's all, fa- it's all fair. It's all fun and games until you lose your monetization. Anyways. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of that, what the heck? I can't even find our stream yards. That's fun. Um, where is it? Um, did I lose? Oh, there it is. Woo, I found it finally. Okay, we are still here. <laughs> what? Us, 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 rumble. All right, what's up, Wubio? Anyways, um, <clears throat> so, Andrew, like we said before, what are we covering today? We're covering Unrestricted Warfare. Yep. Maybe we should give a brief summary of what that book is. Yeah, so, I mean, best way to summarize this book is it was written by a couple um, colonels in the CCP military and it's kind of a uh, review of lessons learned from desert storm and they're just kind of taking and having a whole like how should we reevaluate what is warfare based on what we just saw which was the united states having an overwhelming show of force that no one anticipated i mean there were less than 200 casualties that's a key <laughs> A key aspect to Desert Storm. Yeah, it was a, it was an extremely overpowered effort. It's it's basically someone taking the risk board and just having the authority to just rush your pieces just right off the board. That's right. kind of how I would describe Desert Storm as a how it actually turned out. Yeah, and 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 that's one of. I think I think it's interesting that throughout the whole book they're they're referencing that as like the the last breath of old school warfare when mm-hmm. it was a sweeping it was just a sweeping combat effort that was unmatched in the area where it was deployed. Yeah, I mean there it's a very interesting book when you look back at it because it, if you had taken it seriously at the time, this was in written in the 1990s, I think 1999 to be precise. Um, it's it's very on point for where the threats of like, for example, terrorism were going to come from. The entire aspect of how that factors into warfare, they're not necessarily focused on it from a terrorism standpoint they're kind of saying that it's a legitimate form of warfare that even nation states should consider uh as an option but they mention osama bin laden quite a lot no you know who else they mention a lot and soros i know i was surprised yes. like that's yes. that was such a weird no it's crossover. not though that's not a weird crossover um I mean, they discuss his financial dealings in Southeast Asia with the, you know, but he's got money economies. Like, like, you know, outside of all the other stuff going on, he's got money everywhere. Like, that's just a fact. Well, that's those are, um, you know, most people know of his fame for how he crashed the Sterling. Right. 
broke the uh, Bank of England, but he really, really did some massive damage to countries in Southeast Asia back then. Now that's I was not aware of that. Yeah, that so that's that's an interesting perspective to take where you can see how influential he was even just to these colonels. So it's um, it's an interesting thing to read about because you don't really hear it often whenever George Soros is talked about. He's been kind of almost whitewashed as far as our uh, U.S. media goes, despite his massive influence. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we've kind of gotten into it a little bit on why we picked this book, I would say. it's uh, It was picked because if you read it, you, it kind of gives you another perspective of how we got to where we are today, I think, in the current uh, world affairs. Wouldn't you agree with that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it's – so if I had to summarize the book, this would be my general consensus on it. It would be that – this is essentially a historical walk through both Western military tactics as well as uh, Asian military tactics. Because it even delves back as far as, say, like Genghis Khan. Yeah, um, well, when, it's, and, and, when it talks about the golden ratio, basically. Which the golden ratio is something I've been aware of a very long time just because mm-hmm. of the things that I've read and the things that I've done over the years. And it is a very interesting concept, but... It was nothing new for me when I read this book. But, yes, it, it delves into, like, philosophy yeah. a little bit. It delves into, like, strategies for choosing a target during war. And it's just – it's kind of an all-encompassing conglomeration of many things I've read previously. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's – I don't know if it's necessarily as enlightening. It, I guess I guess it's one of those things where if you are under the illusion of us having a civilized world, right, where conflict has rules and we're not supposed to, you know, hurt civilians in any capacity, right? Mm-hmm. We've learned the lessons of world the world wars. That's a European thing. Like yeah. that's Western society rule. That rule does not hold any water anywhere else. So the lesson to learn from this book really is the fact that other countries don't see that as the rule. They know that they're going to have to break that rule. Otherwise, they don't stand a chance in a, in a conflict with the West if they were to well, be in one. To, to be fair, um, America would be a very different country had they not gone through with guerrilla warfare during the Revolutionary War. So, like, fighting war the traditional way, the, the European-British way, or, or I mean, really, really British It's and a France luxury kind of, of the stronger force. You can't fight war that way when you're coming at them from, from the point of weakness. Yeah. It, I mean, it really just explains that civilized warfare is a luxury of the powerful. It's not something that, if you know you're going to lose, that you can even contemplate, right? Um, this book though, it's, it really does explain that in their view, nothing's off limits. Now, one of the things that I felt was important to define is the idea of eras being defined by specific inventions. So like Mm -hmm. the invention of electricity, the invention of the automobile, the invention of, well, information technology, which is 
such a broad invention that if you were to call it just information technology, you'd be kind of doing a disservice to all the mm-hmm. ancillary pieces of it. And the fact that information technology on its own is not warfare, but combined with other things can be warfare. Right. Uh, honestly, the biggest lesson I took in this book was the the title's Unrestricted Warfare, right? But their take on it isn't necessarily without limits. There right, it's moving, it's moving the boundary of the restriction. Right, it's... so. When it comes to looking at means to achieve an objective, the objective is limited, right. but the means to achieve it are, are they're looking at everything. And it's not saying that they're taking unlimited force or anything of that matter, right? They're, they're looking at what is the best possible route to achieve this within, within the limits of the objective. So... For example, something like a nuke is obviously unrestricted, right? If you're just taking unrestricted at face value, you'll nuke everybody. You don't give any crap to any limits. But that doesn't work for you in this world because everyone sees that as a moral wrong. It's against the rules. It's beyond the pale. So you can't do that directly. You have to find some other means to achieve an objective. So what are the other means? That can be financial, it can be trade, it can be information, culture, name anything. Anything that exists as we've expanded the um, technology within our daily lives, there's become more and more daily weapons that they find. They reference hackers constantly throughout this book. Yes, and then trying, the other part of that was how do you decide whether a hack is military mm-hmm. or citizen? Which is part of this whole gray zone concept that they have developed. It's not discussed in this book explicitly, but if you know anything about the gray zone tactics of the CCP today, you know that plausible deniability is their key, right? Like they, they will do anything they can where it's, aggressive it's very aggressive but it's not to the level of a actual conflict it's not it's it would never be justified to actually have a war with them over the gray zone conflicts so that's something as simple as uh you know trying to short sell a stock to tank it and damage an economy that's something as simple as hacking a company to steal all its IP, even if that's military tech, right? Like that doesn't go to the level of conflict. Right. Just like just like sending that um, quote unquote weather balloon over our airspace. That's considered gray zone. They had enough plausible deniabilities there to say we're overreacting. But it also talks about in this book about the idea of if there's too many of, of a thing, like, for example, if a strategy is, is perfected or, or proven to be effective more than once, it can become a rule, right? Yeah, or like if it's a not thing, guaranteed thing is, to work. It's not guaranteed to work, but the yeah. rule can, can exist where um, if you see enough success, that success is not by accident anymore. Right. 
And so, honestly, one of the one of the sections in this book that I thought was really fascinating was on it was on page one sixty four. You're actually real close. <laughs> what it's page worth, is it? One sixty four. Yeah, it's ta- when they're talking about super means combinations. Oh right. And now this one, I think, really does strike at what they're really trying to convey to the reader and as their mission statement of this book. And it's like, so it's so during a war between two countries, during the fighting and killing by two armies, is it necessary to use special means to wage psychological war aimed at soldiers' families far back in the rear area when protecting the country's financial security? Can assassination be used to deal with financial speculators? Can surgical strikes be made without a declaration of war against areas which are sources of drugs or other smuggled goods? Can special funds be set up to exert greater influence on another country's government and legislature through lobbying? And could buying or gaining control of stocks be used to turn another country's newspapers and television stations into the tools of media warfare like that paragraph alone is probably in my opinion the most insightful paragraph of this book because tell me what thing in there have they not really done give you their future strategy i mean that right there is their future strategy i'm just saying like before that point they really don't give it to you though Oh, yeah. Before that point in the entire book, they don't outline exactly what their intentions are. And that one paragraph, I mean, look at, okay, they purchased Forbes magazine, right? Like, that's pretty influential uh, magazine. <laughs> little, you, you think so? Maybe a little bit? <laughs> it used to be more influential than it is now because its reputation is a little bit tarnished by being purchased by a CCP actor. But... Okay, uh, every news media outlet wants to have access to the China market, right? To be the first person to have information that comes out of the country. Well, you play by their rules or you get banned from the country. You, it's psychological many, warfare. Yeah, many of them will just take the Mandarin that's been translated to English already and just publish it for, for the CCP. If uh, anyone ever, a really good channel, honestly, to see a lot of this is uh china unscripted their youtube channel is pretty good um they talk about it all the time there's different things that the cc people just get put into the newspapers they'll just basically buy ads to put their own articles in newspapers that congress tends to get it's kind of (laughs) crazy so they have all sorts of tactics but if i had if so i guess i have to point out so we we've done all right we've introduced the book it was mm-hmm. written by two members who are now currently part of the chinese military they weren't well, they weren't high-ranking officers or important at the time they wrote it but they are now they were still um, senior colonels they just weren't as high up as they are now and anyways long story short to me this book reads more like something you would read in like a college or a university or some train some of them of a training not necessarily for because it's very dry it's, yeah it's it's definitely not an in, you're not going to enjoy necessarily reading this book it was technically and it, it was an unofficially endorsed book though by the pla 
So I'm just saying, like, like this is not a book that you read for enjoyment. No, it's not. It's not. It's this is a if you want to understand what's happening, the and risks. It There's does a lot spend of... a very long time describing weaponry and how wars are fought both yes. in the West and in Asia and the historical. <laughs> I have a corgi in the background. Sorry, people. <laughs> it, it spends a very long time kind of defining the the um, tools and the strategies of war in the West and in, in the Asian countries. And then once it's done defining everything, it explains where the strategies and the tools are going based on the information technology that's happening. And <clears throat> kind of describes how you pair up old with new to make the old new again, to invent new strategies, to build upon what's there. Yeah, and I, okay, I'll say this. You say it's a bit dry. I actually found the first part of the book really fascinating to read, just the history of Desert Storm, their take on it, and then kind of the weaknesses. They like to talk about our weaknesses, um, which I think they're right on some things think they're a little much they're kind of the whole where the old empire uh, arrogance on others but whatever um they are right when it comes to our fascination with advanced weapons excessively advanced weapons well yeah Always i mean why, trying to why draw would you more and more money on something to make it marginally better when you think about the fact that a single uh, missile could be a million dollars plus I mean, like, billion dollars plus, even. Not the not the missiles, generally speaking. That that's you're more thinking of like the tomahawks are pretty expensive. Yes, I, you're, I'm talking about. Okay, imagine you want to fire a pistol, yeah. and each bullet costs you a hundred dollars. You think you're going to go and shoot a bunch of them? No. But what if somebody else is paying for those? Then maybe you might. Yeah. So if your government is is um, funding these really expensive projectiles. You're probably not as concerned about the money. And when I read about how much money each of these projectiles costs, I was like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, and that was back then. It's only gotten worse. Um, it, it's one of those things where the obsession with the concept of zero casualties, that's, our, that's become our obsession. I mean, I'm kind of okay with focusing on not having casualties. I, I think it's dangerous to assume you won't have casualties because it I don't think you should assume you eager. won't. I think it makes you should you just too eager for war. I think you should just plan to minimize as much as possible. Well, okay. I'll say this. I think tactics are really where you get your tactics and life-saving technology is where you get your gains in the reduction of casualties. Throwing money to get more and more advanced weapon systems themselves does not necessarily yield that level of result. Yes. You're, you're making yourself a bankrupt military, which means that everyone will have belief that there's the ability for you to collapse randomly during the conflict. So I don't know if that's necessarily a good strategy either because there's the concept that they just need to outlast you long enough for you to just outla- to outspend what is reasonable, you know? Um, it's, it's, it, 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 okay, the concept that they like to bring in is the 
objectives without limits, right? Mm -hmm. You can't do that. If you don't have a limit to your objective, it's guaranteed defeat. Well, that's exactly what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan. No, it's more like if you look at it as like um, um money, it's like a money it's like a money pit. If, if if you continue if you believe that more money into the pit is going to solve the problem, you end up spending a lot of money and getting nowhere. Well, because no casualties is an impossible feat. It's well, like yes, I agree with you on that. It's impossible with war. The the thing though is just like that okay, bringing democracy. That's not a clear-cut limited objective, is it? Not well, when really. you try to implement a different governmental structure on people who aren't necessarily there's no want, culture they of that. that they don't want it there's no culture you're of it. You're, you're doomed to fail unless you like yeah. unless you specifically remove the people of that culture from that area and insert your own that's the only way that you can achieve that and I even mean, then and even then your chances of actually instituting a new culture in an area that doesn't want it is low i mean we're Okay, I'll make the argument this way. We're both fans of the book, The Fourth Turning. Well, yes. If you take the if you take the principles of generation theory, you have to weave a very fine line of not being a tyrannical douchebag government, <laughs> and you have to culturally mold them for four generations of to be eighty years before you could even hope of achieving that that objective. That's okay, well, let's, let's take that, war objective. Let's, let's take that a little further. Okay. Right? How many turning points have occurred in the West since the original founding, right? We got the Revolutionary War. We're on the fourth. You got the Civil War. Then you've got the World Wars. Yeah. And well, now, that's we're, one, now we're essentially yeah. now we're essentially into the fourth of the fourth turning. Yeah. So like For, if any major cultural shift were to occur it'd be now. Well, but but what I'm saying is so let's let's put it this way. I've read somewhere that there are strategies to mold the West. And I, yeah. You know, believe what you want, but yeah. if that were true, they would have started 80 years ago with that strategy mm -hmm. through slowly integrating into your culture, changing the way that people think, changing the way the culture handles things, and slowly taking over the culture will win the war without fighting. I mean, hey, Chris. Let's be honest. A lot of things after World War II did change. Look at how look at Operation Paperclip. Look yeah. at how many Nazis we took into our own government. Hey, I, I'm not necessarily heading that route, but I will say no. This. I know, but I'm just making a point though. Of when you look at how our government's expanded, when you look at what FDR's favorite things were, that the I think that cultural of government is never going. good for the individual person ever. Yeah, That's but I'm fact. saying that that 80 year shift has been occurring since the end of the world wars. You mean the the New Deal wasn't necessarily such a great deal for the American people? What? Exactly. Uh, but going back to this book, they straight up talk about culture as like, oh, yeah. as a tactic. I mean, if you look at it, it explains 100% why they ban our social media apps. From well, yeah, they country. don't want our culture influencing their culture. They don't want it. They don't want it at all. There's a reason why TikTok right now is is no other way to look at it but what a weapon. It, it, you can't look at it as anything look, but even, a weapon. Even, even if it's not, even if it wasn't, you're allowing a foreign country to have influence on your culture and your citizens. I, Well, okay. A foreign country is allowed to have influence 
you just have to recognize what the foreign culture is because when you you don't okay if you're allowing if you're allowing if you're allowing communism to control your culture you will wind up with communism well okay we're calling the ccp communist because that's what they call themselves if we're actually objective here they are much more akin to the national socialists of germany than they are i'm not making that comparison you can make i am i'm not making that comparison you can i'm not going to i they have become (laughs) they they have done a lot of things much more aligned with that they've done a lot of bad things but they're much more nationalistic okay but i'm not willing to say they're there yet okay I'm, I'm not they have, saying they have not an, they they are more akin in my opinion to to Russia before World War II. What makes you say Russia before World War II versus Nazis before World War II? I guess they were headed on the same path but one decided to Because you know, both of them are I mean, let's be honest, both of them have the same exact policies. The main difference is nationalism versus globalism. And the CCP has a very extreme nationalist, Han nationalist perspective with how they are treating ethnic minorities within their country. So I would make the we, case, I think we can all agree that the the treatment of um, Uyghurs of, of any yeah yeah of any specific minorities in China is not good. Like for example, the way organ they treat, harvesting. Can I can I finish my thought before you jump in? Yeah. They they view outside religions as bad, they, which which incorporates not only the Uyghurs but also the Christians. Yeah, I mean Fangan and, and, and the Fangan. Yeah. So like their idea is institute their culture from their political parties above all others. So for example, whereas in the United States you pretty much free to uh, free ish to do whatever you want as far as religion goes. Whereas in, like, say, China, their institution of their nationalist policies pretty much limits that. I mean, yeah, there's there's more than that, too, though. Look at the deals they're trying to make with the Vatican to try to get influence there. I mean, they, they are behaving in a way that is not conducive to an open and free religion in the country. That is for sure. And... With with this with this book too, it, it really just opens your eyes a little bit to the fact that you know people are like, oh, the Chinese, you know, they love money, they love every, they love making money just like we do. There's there's so much more. They're just so capitalistic. The people. Well, but then the people CCP, fail. People fail to recognize that it's the CCP government that acts like a capitalist in the global network, not within the country. Right. It, I mean, at any moment in that in China, the CCP can come and take everything from somebody. There's no such thing as eminent domain. They own everything. Yeah. I, you don't own property there. You just don't. You rent property from the government. You purchase it for a set time frame. You, you aren't even in control of your money. There's spending controls. The CCP has extreme controls on capital flight from the country because they need to control the value of the yuan. So... <coughs> Bricks. <coughs> yeah. Well, that's a different issue. <laughs> uh, but 
when you look at it, yeah, the people in China love making money. They love the concept of capitalism, but they're not really experiencing capitalism because of how the government has the everything on the mandate of heaven. Everything under heaven is basically theirs to control. There's no f real freedom there. Um, it's it's very tricky situation because every they like to paint themselves as the people, but they're not the people. You can't even take that culture aspect and look at it the same way. So when when you get into this whole where this book is going with it, where like, oh, we'll buy up stocks from companies and influence them. Uh, there's a reason our companies were, are so eager, partially because of bribed politicians, right? Thinking that we can send businesses to China and change them over time. If anything, we've opened the door to allow the CCP to bribe and corrupt our own institutions. That's a two-way street of exchange, right? Yeah, business business versus warfare are very different games. And unless your business strategy is to resist and fight back against the culture, which most businesses are more about making money, not necessarily fighting culture, yeah. um, you're going to wind up with influence from whatever country you do business in. Well, okay, if we're completely honest, gatekeeping is a natural instinct of everyone who's made it to the top, right? Mm -hmm. The reason our capitalist system works is because traditionally there's no gatekeeping that's legal. Government's not allowed to, is not supposed to be allowed to pick winners and losers. They're not supposed to be making tons of restrictive China, laws. Yeah, I mean, when you go to China, right? Like as this business, they can, Oh, we want to build a factory here. Okay, government takes land, gives it to the to the business. They build the factory. They get gate kept from all competition, right? They they're being sold basically the um, same level of state monopoly that like the um, East India Trading Company was given by the British. Yeah, just the diff all those all those very famous merchant groups that the former empires used to just say, yes, you have full monopoly over this region. We're coming back towards that. And it's intoxic intoxicating to a business, a big corporation that was that sees an opportunity to do something like that. So who's going, who's going to have the better sales pitch to them? The CCP who's like, Hey, well, well, you're part of our government now, if you want to be, or us who are like, Hey, if you do bad business practices, you can fail. It's like the too big to fail in the U.S. Which same problem. Like over time, we have become because because of that globalization uh, that we encouraged to try to change China. We're now kind of forced into doing the same tactics. That's what I how I see it. It's like, oh, this is a company that's an American company paying American taxes, even though they have so much being built in China, we're going to say you can't fail because we need that tax income. We, it's too scary to allow someone to come up and compete without protectionist uh, policies stopping them.
Yep. And um, <clears throat> so the next thing I want to bring up is they they spend a lot of time on IT. So clearly, mm -hmm. over the last twenty years or so, their focus has been on fighting an electronic war, or or making influence over electronic, yes, or or any kind of ability to unrestrict the flow of technology has led to influence on culture from foreign countries such as China. And they recognized that early on. And they basically said like, hey, we're gonna take a piece of that pie. We're gonna get inside of as much technology as possible and build as much technology as mm -hmm. possible, sell it, take over the culture of technology. Because he who controls the technology controls the beast that is technology. I mean, that opens up a lot of things that you see today though, right? Um, one of the big ones in this book that they describe, it's just like that one paragraph I read earlier where they're talking about two scenarios where a nation goes to war with another nation. You can go in with actual physical uh, force, right? And there's a battle, multiple battles. There's a drawn out conflict. Think Ukraine right now, right? It looks exactly like that is how they basically described it. Or, or you could take out their power grid you could crash their stock market. You could try crippling their, their currency. They have all this whole list of things where you throw the domestic lives of the civilian into utter chaos and the government has to use the military to control the riots and rebellion that is happening within its own You're borders. You're fighting a war inside your own borders. And then they, yeah, and then they attack you with their forces and it's the they, war of a thousand cuts. Yeah. The, what is it? The, uh, death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, and that's, that's this, that's what they talk about in this book. I, it's at some point prior to this, that, that one section here at 164, but think, think of that, right? Our electrical grid is terribly fragile. <laughs> I didn't want to get into that today. I'm not going to lie. I know. I We've know. gone into I'm the not... electrical grid so many times. Yeah, I don't, but I don't want to talk about it today. I'm not talking in depth about it. I'm just saying it's terribly fragile. Look at, look at Every, the Taiwan. Uh, stop right there. Everything that holds society together is fragile. Yeah. Everything. I mean, it, there's across ways that it the globe, better. But... Across the globe, everything that holds civilized society together is fragile. Well, okay. I would even make the argument that one of the biggest pieces of society that holds people together used to be religion oh and since yeah religion has slowly tanked to a point where it's so what's the right word here it's so weak it's so mm -hmm. fragile compared to what it used to be there's no fabric that holds the pieces together as well as that and so what you wind up with is different culture and different um, ideology taking the place of religion you end up with all these factions and patchworks of people out in the in the in the just in the whole globe yeah fighting for control over culture well what you're describing is a society with low societal trust you're yes. no longer in a society where people are like lock my doors why do i need to lock my doors no one here is going to rob my house while i'm away like that used to exist all over this country <laughs> And it still exists in some places, but for the most part, it's much yeah, that, more rare, man. It's much more rare because there's now so much theft, right? But going beyond that, look at how the pandemic showed our fragile logistics system for just 
getting thing products around the world right it's that's not good (laughs) i think i think the main takeaway from that is when you when you have a major shift in the way things operate Mm -hmm. in a way such that things are shaken up that that they cannot operate in the way that they were or at least they're not allowed to operate the way that they were um the adaptability of people is very low right people do not adapt quickly or well to major quick changes and that that's actually a good reinforcement of what this book kind of describes over Mm -hmm. the course of fighting by culture and that's Mm -hmm. a lot of what it describes when it comes to the information technology is this the the slow degradation of society through the 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 thousand cuts i mean there's an obvious uh thing here too where when it comes to the technology front that they're focused on technology there it's clear why they want to why they really want to take taiwan which ironically in this book they talk about taiwan as if it's not part of china just saying they if you read it it's not really talking about taiwan as if it's chinese taipei um so it's a little fun fact there the the thing is though with how many chips are made there right those are high-end chips if you take taiwan i don't think people truly appreciate how much our obsession with high tech goes out the window instantly as far as a viable aspect the every single weapon system that we have for the most part that we've been touting as the newest most greatest modern invention becomes instantly a glass cannon we can't build them anymore if we don't have the chips well what's funny is we we actually have one of the largest supplies of chip material we'll call it yeah um, in the entire world and yet yeah, instead of mining Yep. Instead of building our own chips, we rely on other countries to send it to us. Just like we have a lot of uh, gas reserves, and instead of getting our own gas, or oil, I should say, petroleum, we choose to import it because it's it, it's strategically makes know, sense, I guess. Do you know what the irony is, though, actually, when it comes to the silicon? Sure, what is it? To make the chips? We actually send that there. It's from the United States. The quality of the qual the top quality material to make it, if I'm not mistaken, is from like the Carolinas. Hmm. (laughs) We we actually, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure I've heard before that we actually make all of that here and send it. I don't doubt that one bit. It makes sense. There's a lot of natural resources that we send all the way across the ocean to be manufactured into something. Am I spelling technology wrong or am I just not having it come up correctly here? Hold on. Let's try again. Cause I, I just, whoops, I did didn't see, I'm sure if you just look through the book, you'll quickly find technology. It's <laughs> look, it's not, it's not hitting at all. Huh? I think that's broken. <laughs> I'm going to refresh. I was gonna say, I swear it's all over this book. Let's try again. Because information has 130 results. And then when I start typing in technology. Hmm. Huh. That's weird. Okay, whatever. <laughs> we'll just we'll just do that then. I'll find it that way. But yeah, because like you go right here. Look, um, I had it. 
Yeah, right here. Information. Right there. Technology. So why yeah. is it not? <laughs> I don't know, man. That's All right, odd. Amazon, fix your stupid information technology. Anyways, um, <laughs> they don't want me to find it. That's the problem. Um, yeah, they don't. I think one of the major things, one of my major takeaways from this is the over-reliance on one particular cultural adaptation, such as information technology, like social mm -hmm. media, like um, the reliance on one technology instead of diversification. Because once you get reliant on something, it's pretty easy for another country to, similar to like the, when people were reliant on trade routes, intercept mm -hmm. that technology, intercept that thing you're reliant on. Because, you know, back in the day, the trade routes were so important. If an enemy, you know, jumped mm -hmm. in the way and blocked your trade route, well, shoot, you ain't getting anything from the trade route anymore. Well, nowadays, if they were able to shut down your internet or, I don't know, take away electricity or any various thing like that, that we're so reliant upon. I mean, an EMP kills 90% of the population within a year. I mean, so. yeah, they've, they've done, they've done um, studies on that yeah. to see, you know, and, and you know, I, I don't. I don't always buy into these studies. Like I, I imagine people would adapt. I mean, people are going to die. That's a fact if that happens. Well, but there's, I'm just saying like, like it, does, it, it does not take into effect the adaptability of strong humans. It's complicated because it, there's a lot of nuance there, Chris. The EMP dramatically damages the ability to even farm the food that will be needed. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I'm just saying that people are way... In, in in survival or no survival mode, people are way more willing to try things they would never do otherwise. Yeah, I mean, you also got to realize that there's the uh, damage to people who rely on medication to survive. That's a those significant people, well, I mean, those portion. Would, portion. Those, I'm, I'm saying like your average person between the ages of 20 and 50 who are not reliant on medication for life are likely to adapt and find a oh, way. Oh, well, I mean, I think it's probably going to be better than 90% death. It's going to be it's going to be a lot lower than that. Um, yeah, I mean, and people will band together. People will form, well, you know, clans, tribes, whatever you want to call them. It's going to get more violent in cities, though. I well, think, yeah, but, but cities are high-density populations with low resources. Yeah, no, but what I'm saying is that's going to be, like, the purge. I think the, the very best advice that somebody could give today is to not live in a city. Yeah. I think no, living in I a city it pretty much guarantees in the event of some kind of apocalyptic Sadly, event or cataclysm. I, <laughs> um, I, I think you're kind of screwed. Like the yeah. bigger the city, the more you're screwed. I mean, I wouldn't want to be anywhere near New York. No, New York's, no. New York's proven time and time again that it's not safe. Yeah. Yeah. This, this book, I think, I think we'd be in a much better position tactically as a country if we had just taken this more seriously, because it was well, it was a well-known book. It's not like it was a secret. Shh. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying, I feel like our current national security interests would be in a much better position if anything my hot take would be that we had people who did actually read this but sadly, translated well, no i'm saying like people who read it and took it seriously but i can't help but think that we kind of um 
used it to control our own people and manipulate our own. I, I well, feel like that these weapons have been turned internally more than than seeing it from a we need to defend against external people trying this same thing. I think something interesting that comes out of this book is the whole discussion on why the military has so many different pieces that have to work mm. together and how they came upon the idea of which piece of the military would be the leader. Um, it was interesting because they said, like, if you have an Air Force base, it requires that you have foreign bases and it mm -hmm. requires that you have satellite communication and this and that. But when it comes to maritime combat, you know, your, your, your Navy and your Marines, they have bases in the water that they can move. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, because the Navy is the most versatile, they technically, they've had the least reductions in mon monetary um, mm -hmm. uh, contribution, and they've had the most increase in level of responsibility when it comes to war. Changed a little bit. It has changed a little bit since little the bit. writing of this book. I think the Air Force did actually achieve more favorability than this Eventually, book but, was but at the time okay. that this happened, this yeah. book was written, that because made sense of, to me. I mean, besides time, that, an aircraft an aircraft carrier can can move your military operations. So at the want. time, you have to remember uh, they reference it in this book, like Granada and Panama and all of those operations, Haiti, where mm -hmm. we where we okay, we're sending in the Marines, like dealing with that level of, um, I guess, third world dictator we want to uh adjust the attitude of that's kind of where especially like a narco state the navy has always been a go-to because they could just roll up on the shore drop the soldiers off they even have the air support because of the aircraft carrier like they have everything we need to handle that so it made sense to me though that when it came to desert storm the army was in charge Oh, yeah, your troops on the ground, nowhere near water. Well, not just that. I would never, I don't think there's ever a case to say the Air Force should be in charge. Probably not. I mean, how, how would they even be in charge? No, like that, my point is this. Why, what would the Air Force know about the ground forces? They won't. That makes them right for that. They don't. They don't know shit about that. The army knows what needs to be taken out so that they can dominate the land. So them giving instructions to the Air Force makes perfect sense. The, the Air and the Force, Navy was just there. <laughs> the, the Air Force is, is, I would say, most of the time your your backup, your um, you know your your or your offensive strike before you go in. It's mm -hmm. it's never your main force overall. Exactly. And. Likewise, unless you're fighting from a water-based area, your your navy is more of a landing and base structure. Yeah. Well, Whereas trade your, ar your, your right. army is always going to be on the ground and fighting the ground fight. Yeah. It's a little strange. Combat's still. different. It's, it's, it's a combo combat. You know, you're doing all three yeah. things. Anyways. Oh, th there's one point we never, we've, we've ignored though. TikTok? No, the super na uh, national organizations. Like the UN and all the that. The UN, stuff. the World Health Organization, 
all of these, you know, international groups that have basically become a joke because who's on the Human Rights Council? They've integrated themselves in there. Yeah, they've, they've yeah, basically who's, created a... Who's on that, Chris? Let's look that up for the audience. No, China's on it. You don't need to look it up. I mean, if you look at the list, they're all... It's like over 50% nations that are 100% violating human rights on a daily basis. Um, it, it, it's atrocious, actually, which countries are on that list. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, like Saudi Arabia made it on the list once. Uh Pakistan was on the list. You have it's Cuba was on the list. If I'm not mistaken, it's it's a joke. And the CCP has correctly, per their strategy, manipulated Africa to get a lot of influence, a lot, a lot of influence. They can go and buy votes, and they've despite giving fractions of the funding that we do to these organizations have been using them way more effectively in the past, like 10 years. Just look at how COVID was handled. Oh no, we're demonetized on YouTube. I don't care. Look at how COVID <laughs> was not, look at how COVID was handled. Look at how the world health organization you you had you had an extreme influence from China on the way that COVID was handled across the globe. That is a fact. Like, the entire thing wasn't about solving the problem. It was about not hurting the CCP's feelings, or not. I'm not, not going to take it that far. I am going to say they used them as an example for how to handle it, and that was the wrong way to go about it because you're talking about using a, a totalitarian um, scheme on how you handle it in places where there is no totalitarian government. We, we adopted practices that have never been adopted by a Western country ever to deal with pandemic. We were 100% corrupted by the World Health Organization's take on the CCP's handling of this virus. That's all and I'm now, saying. And now there's new treaties for how to handle these things. So that's great. Yeah, Anyways. which are atrocious. But they're they're doing exactly what this book says. If you want yeah, to see, they're, where they're it's the slow that. it's the slow war of attrition and influence. Yeah, I mean they they're doing it now with bricks, right? They're looking to demonetize our debt. <laughs> well, they're they're removing the ability to have a petrodollar. That's for sure. Yeah which we bought into the global narrative with, you know, going to the petrodollar to begin with. So I, I found this part probably the most influential in the whole book. It's where they say it's now time to correct this mistaken trend. The great fusion of technologies is impelling the domains of politics, economics, military culture, diplomacy, religion to overlap each other. The connection points are ready and the trend towards the merging of various domains is very clear. Mm -hmm. That's why we have this patchwork of issues. And add to this the influence of the high tide of human rights consciousness on the morality of warfare. And all of these things are rendering more and more the obsolete, or more and more obsolete the idea of confining warfare to military domain and of using the number of casualties as a means of the intensity of a war. I mean, look, at, take that another step forward. 
warfare is now escaping the boundaries of bloody massacre and exhibiting a trend towards low casualties or even none at all and yet high intensity this is information warfare financial warfare trade warfare and others yeah i mean look at look at entirely new forms of war new areas opened up in the domain of warfare and in this sense there is now no domain which warfare cannot use and there's almost no domain which does not have warfare's offensive pattern yes go back go back to that um Go back to that previous page. Yep. Okay, information warfare, TikTok. Yep. 100% TikTok, that's not just TikTok, that's how they've manipulated magazines and media outlets to allow them to have influence as long as they toe the line, right? Everyone wants their ability to report on things for some reason they're willing to sell their soul to claim they have the scoop. Financial warfare, I mean, they buy stocks all the time there's there were even countries back in 2008 trying to tank our our stock market that's countries were trying to do that if it was china involved who knows russia was probably involved a couple countries were involved that's like in reports now trade warfare i mean okay globalism but look at what they do with forced trans uh technology transfer if you want to have a factory there you have to give up all ip and we allow it. So they, they take everything and then they spin up a cheaper competitor that takes and just outcompetes them with zero investment cost into all of that. And then other other is clearly covered by they're doing the whole opium wars, man. Look at the fentanyl. That's all coming from China. It's coming over our southern border, but the fentanyl is coming from China. So, like, name one domain that they're not fighting us in. Um, hmm. Now, now you got me curious if I can even come up with one. Right? Well, they're not fighting us in moving the culture further in the direction ours is going. I mean, even look at, even look at what they've done to Hollywood to get movies. Look at what they've done with the NBA. Well, what's, what's even funnier is is the duality of Hollywood. Like, for example, they'll produce a movie, release it in the U.S., make zero mm-hmm. alterations no matter how much outrage is, is observed. And yet, in China, they will straight up make a different movie mm-hmm. out of the bits and pieces of the movie they release in the U.S. in order to get it released in China for the for the market of China, to get the money. Yeah. I mean, they even changed the poster to completely... They removed John Boyega on the Star Wars yeah. poster in China. Mm-hmm. Probably remove some of his scenes too. Probably. In fact, I would be willing to bet you. In fairness, though, his character wasn't that good. But was he going to be? That's the real question. They real, you know, actually, you have a point. He was made into an extreme bit player after that first movie because he he seemed like he had like he picked up a lightsaber, showed off natural characteristics of being a good Jedi. And then they just sidelined him for the rest okay, of the show. Yeah, but they did change the director in the middle. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that I, I would, if I was in the shoes of a producer, John Boyega would have eventually be, become a Jedi. Like that, that makes the most sense out yeah. of all the options. And I would be willing to bet the influence from foreign nations, especially China, pushed that backwards and said, nope. Right. No, you have a valid point. It might have. 
honestly, that that they don't like. Black and Disney's people. not willing to stand up against somebody who's paying them money. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. All right. Um, next next thing here. I want to get to the next part here. So how can yeah. we apply what we know from this book to our daily lives? For one, I would say don't use TikTok. Yeah, don't use TikTok. Don't buy. Don't follow trends. Don't. Yeah, actually, yeah. Don't be a. Uh, just be cautious, honestly. Critical I think the, I think it's healthy man. to have a level of skepticism for anything. For sure, for sure. Don't buy Chinese stocks. Mm, you might do okay with that. I mean, depends right. on what no. stock you buy. No, I've I've said it plenty of times before previously. You don't own anything with that. That's stock. true. They can just take it from you. Yeah, it, you're right. Don't every don't buy one that. of those stocks that is okay. Every one of those Chinese stocks listed on the U.S. stock exchange is technically illegal paper in china you have no legal right to anything there it's not the actual company's ownership it's just a claim to their profits which is technically not even allowed in china for you to do so it they just do it to try to gather more money in. it's a theft form all right so here if you want to fight against the potential informational warfare going on the best thing you can do is read books yeah. Um, write, do things that are outside of information technology. I know I read this on Kindle. Kindle's nice. I like Kindle. <laughs> I mean, Amazon's a decent company. That's different. But but I, stop stop giving in to these short attention span trends. I mean, you yeah. are allowing yourself to be manipulated if you're watching real shorts. If you go into if you go into the Doom, what's it called? Doom. Doom uh, scrolling. Doom scrolling. If you allow yourself to Doom scroll. You are allowing an algorithm yeah. from inf information technology to control your brain and influence you. Not just that, though, and you don't Chris. know where that and you don't know where that influence is leading you. Yo, Chris, not just that though. So, okay, yeah, the American ones, companies too, they're they're you know heavily tied to other. I'm not saying our companies are any better, right? But I'm just saying avoid anything yeah. that involves an algorithm controlling your focus and your attention. Well. What I was going to say is, even in the best case scenario, where the algorithm is not with an agenda it, it, by the company that made it, right? Yeah. Guess who has an agenda? And the business that easily, wants you to manipulate you into spending all your day on it? No, not that business. I'm saying even oh, okay. if they create it without, like, say, let's say Instagram compared to TikTok. Let's say Instagram has no agenda with their algorithm. They just want to feed content that they think is popular. Well, you, when you look they, at a lot of the most famous reels on Instagram, they, they even have the TikTok thing still in it. I so know. Crop it out. But, but what is it? What is it that they're still open to? It's very simple. They're open still to bot manipulation. If you have a server farm of bots, right? The CCP can have an influence ring that's just running a ton of bots and they're manipulating the algorithm by giving certain things views, right? You could, you as TikTok could change Instagram's entire algorithm to try to mimic yours. If it really, if you really wanted to, because you could just use bots to do it. There's nothing to stop that. Instagram's still going to try to feed the algorithm with whatever it thinks is popular currently being viewed. And it probably, and it probably compares itself to TikTok anyways. It does. I guarantee it does. And a lot of, if you look at both networks, there's cross popularity. 
you might have somebody who is on TikTok getting extremely famous, also cross-posting to Instagram and Facebook and whatever else is out there. (laughs) I mean, look at us. We're we're currently streaming on YouTube, Odyssey, and Rumble. Yeah, but the... (laughs) We're the good guys. <laughs> hey, I'm just saying. I'm not saying we're the bad guys. I'm just saying we're technically putting something on multiple things too. But but what I'm saying is, is for example, if, if you're a creator on TikTok and you're allowing the TikTok platform to influence what trends you follow in order to get to the top of the algorithm, well, when you post that to Instagram, it automatically influences the, uh, the algorithm on Instagram and makes it mold to TikTok. And it's it's... Uh, it's scary good. That's the problem. It is scary good. Uh, you Plus, f- it's like a, t- a 10 second clip that you're, you can relate to is addicting. Very addicting. No, they're it, it, all it hits all the, pre- the pleasure centers of the brain. It makes you want to keep going it's a, and scrolling. It's, and- it's a dopamine hit of new information that's just bite sized enough that you don't have to think about it too much. And you, you know what doesn't do that to your brain? You know what doesn't do that to your brain? Books. Yeah. They don't do that. There's no dopamine hit for reading each different. They're rewarding. There's a dopamine hit at the end, Chris. Not with this book, there wasn't. (laughs) You don't think there was? I mean, you you're you're kind of harsh on this book. I'm gonna say. I think. I I I think the discussion we're having is good. I did not enjoy the book. That's. I think that this book is valuable for the discussion it encourages you to have, and I think this book becomes blatantly obvious to people as time progresses because all of the strategies that they outline in this book are just becoming reality. So what other things can we apply to life from this book? Is there any other themes? Go ahead. Dude, you have to be prepared for anything, anything. I don't, I think you have to recognize how fragile the just society actually is and be prepared. Like, you know, 50 years ago, everyone had plans. Society had plans for things still. Yeah, you, see, I, go ahead. I'll, I'll I, get mine in I'm just you. saying like people, like a food, uh, having food storage, having an emergency plan if you were to have a storm or whatever, you didn't have the government known to just come waltzing in to save everybody. Even that became a newish trend with the certain hurricanes in like the late nineties and early two thousands. I think people have just become accustomed to being like crying for government help instead of helping themselves. And the sooner you recognize that society is a very fragile creature and that if something were to really happen, the government itself is extremely fragile and probably isn't going to be there to help you when you actually need it most. If there's even a desire to help you, because they tend to put the focus on things that they can't ignore, not necessarily things that need their assistance. They focus on preservation of state, as our yes. friend Murray Rothbard points out in the book. We were yeah, listening. exactly. Exactly. So here's here's my thought process, um, and, and this is kind of something that just came to me. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's how I've kind of always thought about it, but I've never been able to put it in words. Mm. We were always kind of taught growing up that the U.S. was a was a melting pot, and that's just yeah. not true. Because here's the thing: a melting pot cannot easily be separated. Yeah. So what we are is a patchwork patchwork quilt that is only as strong as the threads holding it together. I agree and disagree. 
the fabric of society can be separated if the threads are weak. So we used to have a, mo a strong moral foundation. Which could be your thread. A shared. The a shared. Well, previously. The weaker the, the, weaker the, the um, foundational morals of the society become, the weaker the threads that hold the patchwork quilt together. Y yes, but I was going to make the comment that at one point we were a melting pot. 100%. I disagree. We, we can't ever have been because if we yeah. were, you can't separate it. No. Okay. You're, you're, you're missing the point that I'm about to make. It you're is, saying the assimilation aspect. Assi yes. Assimilation at one point was vicious, vicious assimilation. Well, yeah. When Where you look like, at all the names that changed through Ellis Island joining the U S yeah. Yeah. Like assimilation was just expect was expected at such a high standard and strive for at such a high standard by those coming as well like the for the longest time this country was not actually the wealthy powerhouse everybody currently views it as we weren't the only you know empire on the block we weren't even an empire prior to that wealth and success prior to even having an income tax for our federal government to be heavily Legal. <clears throat> what? Yeah, well, no, that was done properly through an amendment process. Illegal. <clears throat> so, but prior to the New Deal and everything, prior to Texas all stuff. of that, <clears throat> yes, Sorry. prior to all of that, Chris, you didn't have all of the welfare programs. You didn't have all of these different things where, oh, our wealth was in abundance. That wasn't, a, there was a lot of self-sufficiency in this country. So if you wanted to come here, you had to want to work. You had to buy into what the societal values were to even desire to come here in the first place. Other countries were still comparable. But I, so when that was the case, assimilation was the name of the game. You came here, you wanted to join, you wanted to be blend in and just be a part of that society. That's called assimilation. That's a melting pot right there, right? But as we've become extremely wealthy and successful as a nation, when we became basically empire status, right? World superpower status, then eventually the sole superpower status, that was a level of success where people came for the wealth, not the values. People currently are trying to come here for the wealth, not necessarily the values. They I want to latch on long enough to make some money and then leave. Right. Like if if you're coming here, you're just sending a per like okay, example. Think of how many people send one family member here to work to make money and send money home. Shoot, it's even easier now that you can remote in and not even show up. <laughs> but like think about that concept, right? Send someone here, work, go home. Make like make your money go back home or send money back home, like that's that's new, that's very new. Like that's, that's not the, that's not as new as you think it is. No, though. that's very new. That's very that happened. That happened in the logging industry at the early parts of the North American civilization. Dude, there were people of, that there were people that became loggers that sent money back to a foreign country. No, but a lot of people who sent money back home were trying to get them the money to come here. That's true. Like, but what I'm telling you is. The difference is 
back then when people sent money home, it was so the family could afford the passage to get here. So they could only afford one person. It's like the initial investment, go get established and bring us over. Now it's go there, make money, send it home, then come home when you've made enough. Yeah, that's true. Right? It's it's a completely different vision to what is the American dream almost. They're coming for the wealth, not the values. It's a very it's a very common thing now. So yeah, we've become that. We're only we're only patchworked quilted as long as there's wealth. Second the wealth is gone, everyone's gonna turn on each other. We're a patchwork quilt of with mostly loose threads on the newest pieces of the quilt. Yeah. Yeah. That that that's kind of what I was getting at though, is early on we were not a melting pot. We were a patchwork quilt where a lot of the patchwork pieces were the same because they all wanted the same values. And now we're looking at a quilt that's you know miles long and held on by loose threads. See, th but that's where I said, you said we weren't melting pot and that's why I had to say that I believe They poured we the melting pot onto the patchwork quilt <laughs> and, forever, and now it's falling apart. <laughs> uh, you just don't want to admit that we were a melting pot. We were never a melting pot. We were close, but we were never quite. No, I mean, Honestly, the issue is right now, our government has gotten to a point where we're making, we're making laws that are very contentious. They're not limited enough to be acceptable to a large majority of the population. When you do that, you, your government is inherently pitting each people against each other. You're You've, creating conflict. There are really two choices. You either let the culture develop and control the culture, or you pass laws to control it. And right yeah. now, we're doing the latter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Do you want to move on to some audience comments and questions? There was one other point. Oh, no. We got, we got, to, we got to rate the book. That's right. We got to well, there was the one book. other point that I, I was going to make about how you could apply this. Um but I forgot about it now. <laughs> okay, let's rate the book then. Where, yeah. where, what did you rate it? I I gave it a four. Uh, my reason for a four is just because it is not timeless. I don't believe it's timeless. I also don't necessarily think that they're the most creative thinkers because all they're doing is taking World War II total warfare and applying its lens to a modern... Um, to the modern sphere of what technology is. I, I kind of disagree with you, but I still give it a three. See, I don't, I don't, I, I take it as like, I think the theme of, of the evolving, the evolving of warfare of the book being more timeless than you're giving it, but I still don't like the book. So I'm giving it a three. Well, okay. I'm saying it's not as it's, it's not as, um, isolated in its in its uh enlightenment that you can gain from it because if you don't see a lot of the stuff that's currently happening and already have a gist of what this book's warning is then i don't know what to tell you that's one reason i view it differently but as far as the do you disagree with me because they're literally talking about the massive bombing of dresden on the page you have pulled up it, they're they're if you look at all of the shady things that happened during World War II, the total level of bombing, nothing off limits, <laughs> all of the spy craft and everything in World War II, I don't think 
if you took those same thinkers and put them here today with the modern technology, I don't think that there's a difference in how both parties here would actually look at what is on the table for conflict. I think the only thing that you have to see is as we've we've advanced culturally, we view things as taboo, like the civilian casualties. We would never bomb Dresden anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like we've become too squeamish for the concept. We think it's we think it's too morally bad. So there there's that that's what I'm trying to say. Like I don't think they've really come up with anything new under the sun from that. I think if you wanted to learn about just warfare in general, I think the book's okay. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's any that. concept in here that is subject to exp- expiration. If you look at it from a historical standpoint, if you're looking for timeless objectives and things like that, maybe the other aspect of it is that it does discuss um, the idea of moving restrictions in war and various things like that. And then that, I guess it is kind of timeless because the boundaries of war will always change and you have to adapt to those changes. Yeah. But I still give it a three because it's, it's just terrible. It's, the, the book is atrocious to try and read. It, just, <laughs> I just, I, I had a really hard time reading this book. In fairness, it is a translation from Mandarin to English. But I have also read books that are translations that are much better than this. I don't think this person put a lot of time into making <laughs> it read better, Chris. Google Translate. Good enough. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, no, just yeah, I, I'm just saying I, I do think of four, because the history of the, Gulf, of the Gulf War over there is pretty good. Desert Storm, everything they go through on that, the like just seeing the lessons learned from that is, um, it's just interesting. If you're, if you're into that type of content. If you've never read about the Gulf War or Asian yeah. military, anything like that, like you could learn something here. Myself, I, I know enough about it that this was not the enlightening experience I had hoped for. Okay, Chris, you're a person who who reads the Epic Times. You didn't have to out me. I don't care. Just let's be honest. You, you're already kind of up. That's why I say it's not timeless because you're waiting for like some master plan to be revealed and it's not timeless because it's evolved beyond even what they describe in this book because there's so many details that you can see in the news today if you read anyone who covers china objectively like okay i watch china unscripted if you listen to anything they talk about what's happening like the manipulation that's currently happening in the pacific island region all of that it's straight out of this book but way more detailed and specifics that you can comprehend much easier than when you're reading this and it's generalized. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So let's move on to the audience here. Yep. I've got the, we don't have a lot. We got a little bit though. <laughs> um, we have, everyone should post to rumble. It's growing. That's from Wubio, the Cocker Spaniel. I agree. Yep. Everyone should post on rumble. If you're worried about YouTube or if you're even not worried about YouTube, it never hurts to back up your content elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Never hurts. Because who, shoot, what if we got banned on Rumble, at least we're on YouTube? <laughs> I mean, it ain't, ain't going to yeah. happen. But I'm just saying, like, technically speaking, you could look at it the other way, too. Maybe and, we're backing up to YouTube. And Rumble does have a good interface. It's I getting way have, better. Yeah, it I was, don't have it was garbage it. when I used it, like, three years ago for the first time. All right. Um, 
we do have some comments from uh, a, a Marlin who mm-hmm. says, Good evening. I'm Cuban. We fight in communism as well. <laughs> and then they followed up with another comment that said, Communists don't like competition. That's why in their so-called elections, they only present one candidate. And then they go on to say, in Cuba, the PCC is above their dumb constitution. Yeah. Everything sounds nice on paper, and then you quickly realize that that paper means nothing. <laughs> it, well, it depends on the respect adhered to said document. So yeah. you could have a monarchy, but if nobody respects it, then nobody's going to call you the king. <laughs> that too. So, um, or like, you know, if you're, you're King Saul and everybody knows David's the real king. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Anyways, um, that was it for comments so far. I'm sure we I'm have sure one more. Is, do we? Yeah. China's master plan is TikTok. China, it will. I brought that to, up. I brought that up earlier. We yeah, man, but we're we're bringing it up again, and obviously, Will's throwing in his two cents, saying that TikTok is bad is for the brain. Fact. It is, man. No, like you want a goldfish memory? Go ahead. Go to TikTok. It's just too addictive. And you'll feel better if you just ignore it. I can guarantee you there will never be a... Well, let me rephrase that. There will never be an official clip posted by our channel on TikTok. I can't guarantee nobody else will try. What do you mean, Chris? I did a very engaged reading of this book, and I posted it as nothing but clips. (laughs) 15-second clips of reading. That would take so long. There's a thousand clips, but... Dude, can you imagine the amount of like dedication it would take to do an I mean, audio book just, on TikTok? You could just film it as one thing and then clip it. Yeah, but that's still a thousand posts. Yep. That, that's insane. Nope. Get the AI to do it. Anyways, long story short, <laughs> join our Goodreads book club. Uh, the link is everywhere. I'm putting it back in the Rumble chat one more time. If you want to join our book club, join our book club. We'd love to have you as part of our book club. So you're reading the books with us as we read the books. Yeah. Follow us on Rumble. Subscribe to us on YouTube, even though none of you are watching there. And make sure that you also follow <laughs> us on that's Odyssey. Just because, that's just because YouTube hates us. No, YouTube let this one go monetized. Wait, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, and, they hated and us they last two. And they re-monetized our last two. Well, they just are shadow banning us. Just kidding. They, they gave us back monetization. We'll see if they've changed their mind. No, no. We have kept monetization on all of the previous videos that I've reinstated as monetized. So um, we should probably tell everyone what the next book is, Chris. What's the oh, next yeah. Book? The next book. I'll go to Goodreads real quick. One second. Let me get Goodreads open one more time. Oops. No, I don't want to open up Waterfox. I do use Waterfox sometimes, by the way, if anybody's curious. I use Brave Browser and Waterfox. Both are good. Uh, okay, next book. Let's go to our group home. and The group home. Sounds like we're in a senior living center. <laughs> well, the we next... are reading books, Chris. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> I mean, everyone else is on TikTok, and we're over here reading books. What's your point? Anyways, um... <laughs> So we finished Unrestricted Warfare, and now we will be reading... Don't have it on the screen, Chris. I know. I, I know I'm, hold on. I'll, oh. I'll put it up there. I was not ready to do it yet. Okay. All right. So we just finished this. I put down as red. We finished on May 3rd. That's today. And next book is The Horse and His Boy. Yep. We're reading it from today through the 17th. That'll be two weeks from now. I'm going to switch it to the currently reading shelf as of today. And anybody who's actually following our book club... There's only two of us right now. Um, 
you will know that we're starting the next book. And here's the thing. If anybody knows a better way to track a book club, I am all ears. Because Goodreads is kind of a pain. <laughs> but, I mean, it works. Uh, it works. But it's a pain. Also, I hate the fact that the chronological order that Goodreads has for the horse and his bo- boy is <laughs> saying that that's yeah, it, 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 It's the publication order. I know. Um, uh, which is the way that Will was intending to read these books. Just just for anybody who's wondering, he was a publication purist at one point in time. I have a clip. I'll share it if I have to. It's so stupid. Sorry, Will. But when it comes to this, it doesn't make any sense to read them out of chronological order. It's just it's weird. To mm-hmm. me, it's still weird. You can get away with it, but it's weird. But yeah, so next book is going to be The Horse and His Boy. If you're looking for videos from our podcast, uh, Goodreads is nice enough to allow me to post our videos in the book club, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But they have to be YouTube links, so unfortunately, no Rumble and no Odyssey. But you win some, you lose some. But like I said, anybody can come up with a better book club or a better way to manage a book club, I'm all ears. I'm happy to hear it. And just so anyone who's a really fast reader, if you want to see what's after The Horse and His Boy, it will be Apocalypse Never. So... so- just real quick, is Michael Schellenberger one of the people that released the Twitter files? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. I was just yeah. curious. All right. Anyways, that's it. That's all I've got, unless you got something else to say. No, that's everything for me. Well, we appreciate you watching. This has been the latest episode of What Podcast? Printed and Pressed. And uh, we will see you on the next episode. Bye, guys. <laughs>